Compliance is a profession where people work tirelessly to make the world a better place. And there are hundreds of amazing and inspiring women who have helped the field develop into what it is today. Great Women in Compliance is part of the Compliance Podcast Network. So join Mary Shirley and Lisa Fine as they talk with women in compliance who are making a difference. Welcome to the Great Woman in Compliance podcast with Lisa Fine and Mary Shirley. I'm Mary Shirley, and today I'm featuring Alexis Wormuth, who heads up the compliance function in North America for Gettinger. Uh, Alexis is actually a former colleague of mine, um, and uh, I really miss working with her. So it was such a treat to be able to collaborate on this together and uh, hear about some of Alexis's uh, considerable knowledge and expertise. So welcome, Alexis. Please tell us about your background and journey to where you are today. Hi, Mary. So honored to be here on the Great Women in Compliance podcast. Um, I know you've hosted so many other really amazing women, so my honor to be here. I'm sorry, what was your first question? <laughs> you want to start again? <laughs> I kind of don't want to start again because I thought that was glorious. Um, <laughs> the first question is tell us about yourself. <laughs> It's been a long week. Oh dear. Oh my God, hasn't it? Alexis and I, it's not our first time speaking this week. So, um, oh, she's right. It it, it has been a really long week for both of us. um, (laughs) And it was really good to get that laugh out because it hasn't been the best of weeks in in certain (laughs) respects. So, um, yeah, (laughs) absolutely. So, um, Alexis, to tell you about myself. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Take your time. All right. Oh, tricky question. <laughs> Philosophical, <laughs> I guess. Um, no. All right. So about me, uh, we're here. <laughs> I head up uh, ethics and compliance at uh, at Getting Up for North America. Which, for those of you who don't know about this company, because I feel like a lot of the the sub companies are are well known, but not this one. But it's a company that specializes in medical devices, all kinds of things that you see in. The ER, for example, uh, the OR, all kinds of hospital spaces. Recently, they were featured on um, Chicago Med, I think. So you can see, you know, those kinds of things. But um, so I have had a bit of a, a a windy path to compliance, but I think honestly, nothing has been wasted in my experience. It's been a funny thing. I kind of bit, which is a bit funny to me, but. I um back when I guess you could say I studied um, my undergraduate I, I was really into science and so I uh, my undergraduate degree was in uh, I have a bachelor of science in biopsych neuroscience which all about the brain and 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 fun things like that and trying to figure out how things work which I found fascinating but I didn't I didn't really like some of the practical aspects of going into that field things like spending a lot of time in the lab and working with rats and things like that it just wasn't for me so. I uh, I graduated with a bachelor's degree and decided not to pursue uh, an advanced degree in that career field. And so what I did was what what a lot of people do when they try to figure out their life out of school. And I did all kinds of odd jobs. And I'm only mentioning this because I think it it really ended up contributing to where I am now. So I did all kinds of things. I worked for a a bookstore for a while and did some, some management and retail experience, sales type of experience. I was a um, I was a substitute teacher for a while, and I taught 
all the way from kindergartners up through high school and really learned how to um, really convey, convey information in a unique way, especially to people who didn't feel like listening to me, <laughs> I guess you could say. Um, and then I worked for a couple years in hospital administration, you know, not, not super senior or anything, but really learning how hospitals work from the inside out and how the payment systems work and things like that. And I decided after that, I was like, I, I decided that that wasn't really the career path for me and that I thought, oh, you know, I, I really still enjoyed science and I was trying to find a way to use that in a way that would be um, a, a nice career path for me. So I decided that I wanted to be at the time a patent lawyer. I was really, um, I've always been fascinated by the way things work and I always thought it was really interesting to uh, to know about things where they happen, you know, see the, the, the new small bit of technology that could one day help cure cancer or something like that and be in the know and, and have that hope for the future. That was what I really liked about it. So I decided that I wanted to go to law school, but I didn't want to, um, I didn't want to go, uh, all day long and have that be my sole focus. I really wanted to make sure that I continued building my career. I worked when I was in college and I've always had a job. So, what I did was I, uh, I got into a law school that I went to at night. Um, I went to uh, New England School of Law in Boston, and I was able to go there in the evenings. Uh, part-time was, I think, four classes instead of five, so it was still a bit of a heavy load. But I, I wanted to get some more practical experience. And so I, uh, I volunteered, actually, at the time at a biotech company to learn more about patent law. I wanted to just see what the day-to-day -day was like, see... Uh, see what practically my, you know, my future life could be. So I volunteered my time and I learned all kinds of things. I, 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 I guess was so enthusiastic. They ended up offering me a position there. So I worked as a, an IP paralegal actually, while I was in law school, uh, they gave me that position after I'd been volunteering and shown my value there. Um, so I worked directly with the patent, uh, the, the chief patent officer, um, and uh, or chief patent counsel rather, and uh, an administrator. I also had to prosecute trademarks, which you don't need to be a lawyer to do. Um, and it was a lot of really great educational experience, and uh, I learned a lot about day-to-day. Uh, -day. Um, once again, though, I, I realized that even though I think I have a lot of introverted tendencies, I was not introverted enough, I think, to be a patent lawyer. There's a lot of uh, background uh, and, uh, document and documentation back and forth with the trademark office. And, and that's really wonderful for a lot of people who want to do that, but I tended not to be a back office person. So I was like, well, what do I, what do I do with this? So I graduated from law school and I passed the bar and everything. Um, and then the market crashed. That was back, uh, in, uh, 2009 and there was nothing. Like there were literally no jobs. It's the first time I've ever done a Google search and literally found zero hits. I was actually surprised. And I was in a weird quandary because the uh, I was now a lawyer, um, so nobody would hire me as a paralegal again because I'd, I'd, I'd paused my job there to study for the bar. <laughs> and then I, there were no lawyer jobs. So then I was like, well, what, what do I do with myself? So I did some contract work, which is not on my resume. Uh, it was really, you know... <laughs> <laughs> Not great. What you do is a baby lawyer stuff. So that'll, that'll just uh, remain silent now. But, uh, but no, but I, I ended up trying to figure out what to do with myself. And I, um, I went and talked to anybody who I knew who had a connection to the law to try to figure mm -hmm. out where I wanted to go. Um, and I, I met with uh, all kinds of people. And 
um, the funny thing is, is that I ended up my I ended up talking to my mother of all people, um, who is uh, you know you, you always go to your mom for advice, and this mm-hmm. is not where I thought I was going to go for career advice, but she she's a nurse practitioner, and she said, hey, uh, do you remember this woman who you worked with when you were at the hospital? And I was like, yeah, I, I remember her. And she said, well, you didn't know this at the time, but she was in law school. And she's now a compliance officer. And I said, well, what the heck is compliance, right? Because back mm-hmm. then, it was not a, it was not mm-hmm. a thing. And, um, and so I met with her and I found out about compliance. And I thought, wow, what a, what a cool field. Because she mm. was telling me all about how one of the things I didn't like about IP was that I felt like it was the same thing day after day. It was different, mm. different, different, um, slightly different applications, but the same go wrote day-to-day kind of thing. Right. I didn't like that. I liked variety, right? Mm-hmm. And um, so I, uh, but she was telling me, she's like, well, no, every day is different. She said, uh, it's not like firm. You're not working crazy hours doing things for, for clients, which, you know, all the power to you if that's your, your mm-hmm. calling. But she said, um, but she said, no, one day I'm doing training and teaching people. One day I'm investigating things. Mm-hmm. One day I'm coming up with plans. Mm-hmm. She said, every day is different. And not only that, but you can have some work-life balance. And I thought, mm-hmm. well, heck, that sounds awesome. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. it, sounded like, <laughs> it sounded like a dream career, right? Right. Um, so I, I searched uh, for compliance jobs. Mm. Not lawyer, not legal jobs, compliance jobs, uh, and I found the one at Fresenius. I they were hiring uh, one of their first associate positions, which they considered at the time to be like, as in like, not partner, you know, like not like <laughs> anyway. So, mm. um, but uh, but so I saw that position and I thought, oh my gosh, this is medical. It's in a medical device and farm. It was for medical device and pharma. Mm-hmm. And it was also an opportunity to use my law degree, to use my undergraduate degree, because mm-hmm. now I had the science background to understand the technology, to mm-hmm. understand the pharmaceuticals that were sold. I had the teaching, which helped mm-hmm. me learn how to do training. I had the retail experience, which helped mm-hmm. me learn how to interact with salespeople. Mm-hmm. I also have a lot of family in sales that helped too. Mm-hmm. But I just felt like a lot of the things that I've been doing um, really led me to being in compliance. That's the, the yeah. long way of saying how I got into compliance. And then I was with Fresenius for oof, almost a decade, I think, mm-hmm. uh, a little over nine years um, where I worked with you. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> And, um, and then I, it, it just, you know, just so happened that I had an opportunity to, uh, to speak at a conference in Chicago mm-hmm. at a med device conference. And, um, and I happened to be in a, in a session where, um, my future boss at the time was also a speaker and we connected there and she said, Hey, I have a, I have, I'm trying to build up the compliance function in North America. Would you be interested in, and, you know, interviewing for the position. And I did. And, and I've been here ever since. So that's, that's my little story there of how I got to where I am um, within the compliance field. And I've been here for a little over two years. Mm. And, uh, and yeah, still going. (laughs) That time has really flown (laughs) by. And it's not unusual on the show for someone to describe what I call a, a perfect storm of circumstances that lead to to compliance destiny, and I think yours are, yours are very different to mine. So um, for me, uh, my background was investigations, data privacy, and, and antitrust, and I felt like that was um, helpful to set me up to then move on to the anti-corruption space. But it's so interesting to hear so many 
of our great woman in compliance really have, and even though the story might be a bit different, but circumstances that really pull them towards the field. And, and I've said this before, but I really believe that compliance attracts people with the heart for it. And, and you're, you're certainly one of those people. So glad that our paths crossed um, and, and obviously continue to, to do so. Um, you are very strong in the medical device space. That's really your niche area. Can you please tell um, us about the key risks for medical device companies? Sure. Um, well, so medical devices, uh, you know, are products that are used with patients to help treat uh, certain conditions, diseases, and things like that. So, um, you have the typical kinds of things like you'd have for for other FDA regulated products. So, of course, the FDA regulatory framework, bit of the FTC to make sure you're promoting your products consistently with what they do, um, and then the FDA side consistent with what that has actually been shown to be safe and effective, um, so that you're com- you know communicating things in a way that will really uh, ensure as, as much as possible the, the safe use of that product. Um, and because in the United States we have a reimbursement framework, you have some similar risks that you also see in other compliance programs um, related to healthcare fraud and abuse. So the kickback statute, false claims act, just from the vendor perspective as opposed to the service provider perspective. But you know a lot of those rules are bi-directional anyway, so they, they go both ways. Um, we also have the the Sunshine Act um, to make sure that we're reporting uh, some of the interactions, the transfers of value with, between interactions with healthcare professionals um, and the company to the federal and sometimes state governments. Um, of course, the FCPA, we have products um, where we market outside of the United States, interact with government officials, um, and then uh, a dash of HIPAA, which ordinarily you wouldn't think would apply, but um, because some of the products are used in a hospital setting, oftentimes you end up with an interplay where the, there may be access to data. So not in a classic HIPAA context, but more like a business associate um, type of context. So that's, uh, so that's the, some of the big legal framework that we, we deal with. So I think that's similar to some others. Um, it's, it's, it's really interesting to me. I think um, medical devices followed pharma in a way as far as the regulatory enforcement. So you saw things like the pharma code before the Advamed code and tightening up on things. And you also see things where from a compliance program perspective, you know, there's the, there's the guidelines for um, compliance programs for, for pharmaceuticals. Um, and there's, there's, a similar, um, there's a similar one for durable medical equipment, but there actually isn't isn't one for medical devices. And so oftentimes you see, uh, you see med devices following pharma or looking to enforcement actions in the pharmaceutical space to kind of use that as a crystal ball to see where, uh, where enforcement will be going in the device space. Um, it's, it's a good idea to do that a bit there. You can do it a bit too much though. I think, um, at some point you have to recognize that devices are very different from drugs. I mean, it's instead of, uh, having an injectable or a or a pill or something, these are actually products that you have to tangibly, physically learn how to use um, to be able to use them on a on a patient or with a patient. And so, um, that it's that's one thing where I think one of the key risks here is not knowing your products and not knowing how they're utilized in the field. Because the company that I work for has a really wide wide variety of product types, and to me, I think really understanding how our sales representatives or how our medical teams, uh, you know, medical affairs would, would interact with 
those healthcare professionals and healthcare organizations um, is very different here from uh, from the way it would be with a drug. So in 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 all kinds of different contexts. So to me, I think that is one of the the I want to say key risks, but key things to to keep uh, in mind is to really understand those dynamics and understand the real needs of being able to communicate about these products and educate on them because the risk the risk profiles end up being a little different and somewhat unique from the drug world, which I think is what makes it uh, much more uh, varied and and fun actually. Since I, mm. I did, you know, some of the pharma when we were at Presenius too, and I think the device is just mm. much more dynamic. Mm. I like how you juxtaposed the the two of them to help um, compare and contrast. And um, good mention of the Advermed code. That's a nice place to look for anyone who, um, any of our student listeners, or looking to move into a new space. That's a great resource. Mm-hmm. We just joined this year. The company I getting oh cool you this year. A, a so I was very, very excited about that. Yeah. That's great. And I, I know that, you know, a lot of companies, even before they become members, they do at least try to follow the codes mm-hmm. um, because they are a lot of the time best practice and, um, you know, obviously competitors are holding themselves to those standards. So it's a good thing to to know about, even if you're not yet a member, but cool mm-hmm. to see that you guys have moved um, in that direction. So turning now to you as a compliance professional, um, we had a lot of fun working together on um, Lisa Estrada's uh, cross-pollinated marketing team, which is great because <laughs> I, I was not in the medical device area, as you know, um, in our mm-hmm. department. And so we we wouldn't typically have crossed paths until working in this project group together. And um, I am not a very artistic or creative person, um, and I was so thankful that you are um, because it, it, it was so necessary, I think, for that that type of comms work, that outreach and advocacy. Um, and so one of your greatest strengths is ideation, and I think that's obvious in having worked with you, but I also believe it's one of your um like strengths finder strengths. I didn't even know that was a, one of the <laughs> options is, yeah. and it's right at the top of yours. So, um, and then even when you were talking before about um, pa- patents, you know, when you think about that, even though it's this, you know, you mentioned the same rote process, which I totally understand, but I can see the allure for you because that's really to do with, you know, innovation, new ideas, creative things. Um, and so that it's interesting to me, you know, a lot of people don't really know what they want to do with themselves, but throughout your journey that you described, you were hyper conscious of what would appeal to you and you made really, you know, strong decisions about, oh, I thought I wanted to do this. So I gave it a try. And then, you know, I think what happens to a lot of us is that we kind of double down on our commitments or we feel like, you know, I, I can't treat this as sunk cost. I, I, I said I was going to be a doctor, so now I'm going to be a, a doctor <laughs> for life kind of thing. Um, yeah. Whereas you were really, you know, I think thoughtful about saying, okay, I, 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 I gave this a try and I thought it was for me, but I decided that after doing it for a while, it wasn't. And so you changed gears um, pretty decisively and have been very strong at ensuring that you are constantly reassessing your career until you found your sweet spot really of compliance. So I I find that really interesting with you and um, uh, it's it's something that I hadn't thought of before, but now that um, we're mentioning it here, I'm I'm actually going to keep a lookout for how that might inform your style as a compliance officer. Um, So with the uh, ideation piece, um, 
some of us are not naturally creative and and I'm one of those people. So uh, as someone who who is, I'd love to hear your advice for tapping into creativity, especially when it comes to innovating in compliance programs. Sure. But first thing, I do feel like I needed to correct the record because you are indeed creative. I remember when oh. you were in APAC, your examples were the ones they showed to us as the examples of a really nice way to communicate compliance messaging. So, oh, thank you. So that you know that. This thank is before you. you came to the United States. But yeah, um, <laughs> had to correct that because you are very creative. But uh, no, for me, I, I, I absolutely. Um, I, I think creativity to me is one of the positive things. You know, people oftentimes compare the compliance department to the legal function. And, you know, a lot of us are lawyers. I am, you are. Um, But I think what one of the fun things about being in compliance is that you can be creative and you can try to find a way to communicate about rules, about about structure, about decision-making in a way that is really fun and it's more innovative than, say, you know, trying to find a new way to structure a contract or something, which can bring you some intellectual joy, but it's not the same, it's not the same kind of thing, right? <laughs> right. Um, right. Uh, but, uh, you know, I really think that it's, it's really fun to be able to think about things from, you know, your audience perspective and think, you know, if I were in this role, what would mm. I need to know or, or what would I find interesting or meaningful for me or what would I find funny or, or memorable or something like that and try to tap into, into that and think about your audience and then come up with something that you think will be um, well-received. And, you know, and, and you mentioned my way of trying things. Sometimes, you know, you try things, they fall flat and humor mm. doesn't work. But, but oftentimes mm-hmm. you find something that really hits a nice note and mm-hmm. it becomes a memorable way of people remembering what compliance is about and, and really um, viewing us as a nice business partner as opposed mm-hmm. to, you know, the, the people in the, the, the office or the, what is it, the, uh, the sales prevention squad or whatever they call them. But mm-hmm. um, you know, really trying to build that positive relationship and doing that in a creative way. Awesome. Um, I like to listen to people like you to hear ideas. And um, one of the things I think, you know, works well in a team environment where there's psychological safety to share things and not get immediately shot down is that even if you're not like a super creative person, sometimes hearing someone else share a great idea and then it's inspirational for another person to leverage off it or Mm -hmm. take some kind of a twist on it and say, oh, what if we did this to that idea? So I think um, reading books in, in the area of compliance is helpful, attending conferences to hear what other people are doing. There are, you know, at at many conferences, there are slots on, you know, what someone did for their compliance week. And sometimes the exact thing that they did is not going to work for your company, but just hearing it and going, oh, I know how to, how to tailor that for our company. So um, you're a great person to keep an eye on for these kinds of things, great person to connect (laughs) with, to get ideas. Um, And so where someone might be lacking in that area, I would recommend finding thought leaders in the space Um, and attending sessions and reading books of people giving concrete examples of success stories and then figuring out how it might work in your compliance program. Mm -hmm. Um, I always, and so now that I've just said that, um, I'm going to tap into into your examples and say, Alexis, you know, what are some of the things that you've done either over the years or more recently that you want to tell us about that people could replicate for their own program? Oh, sure. Let me think. Um, you know, I think that one of the uh, the fun things is to be able to find ways to integrate compliance into um, existing events. Um, one of the one of the main goals I feel like 
a lot of us have is to be seen as a common part of daily practice, not some additional thing that you have to do, but that Mm -hmm. you're thinking about concepts like responsible leadership or what you need to do from the compliance space in your day-to-day work. So some of the things that I've done, I've tried to take advantage of that. Um, So of course, you know, we do compliance weeks and things like that. But um, one of the things that we did recently was um, at the sales meeting, we had a booth there where you'd have you know, the, the, the new people come in, they get their, the sales guys get their company car, you know, their iPad, all that stuff. But we also had a fun booth there and it was all part of the same process. So it's really seen as one of those important key things that you do, uh, when you, when you first start with the company, which I really appreciated. Mm -hmm. And we made it fun. We had a, a spin the wheel, uh, like a, uh, sort of like a wheel of fortune kind of thing. I don't know. <laughs> spin the wheel, uh, maybe Vegas style. I don't know how you'd call it, but we had the elements of our code of conduct on there and we mm-hmm. were able to have some, you could answer some questions. So you'd spin it and you'd choose one of the the element types. And, uh, so one of them will say, you know, speak up if something isn't right. And then you could answer a question about a scenario there and, and get some candy or a little prize or something like that. That was mm-hmm. fun. Um, and it was also a way for us to um, to try to be a little bit more technologically savvy, I guess you could say. We created a QR code, which I guess for those of you who do it all the time, it wasn't a big deal. But for me, <laughs> I felt very, very techie. Um, but you can, you know, there are so many ways online that you can create QR codes. And so you can find ways for people to link to things really easily. So there's no excuse. They don't have to download. So we were able to create a QR code for our code of conduct, which was online. So everybody who was there, they all now had, uh, had that link saved in their phones um, with, the, you know, with our contact information and everything, which was really great uh, way to integrate as part of that. Um, some other things I did. Uh, so I always try to connect to pop culture as much as I can. Mm. I think there's a lot of space to do things internally um, for, you know, for, for parody or for fun use. So for I guess for <laughs> for our IP <laughs> listeners, I won't uh, I won't go into detail. But there's some really funny things that you can do, uh, and and I've done with you know with references to to uh, to cop- pop culture or movies or, or things like that, where you can really mm-hmm. integrate that in, and it makes it a memorable way of of communicating compliance information, and also um, it shows a bit of fun. I think anytime mm. we can humanize ourselves um, with the with our colleagues in the in the business functions that it really helps to build that relationship with them and to show that we are, you know, we're all on the same team here. We just approach things from a different perspective. So I think that that that's always been a positive way. Um, but you know, I'm always, I'm, I'm always up for ideas too. So if anybody wants mm. to brainstorm with me, I'm, I'm game. Awesome. Yeah. Please, um, please connect with Alexis, uh, if you would like to ruminate on some of these innovations. Um, and I think one thing that we found worked really well that, I wasn't expecting such a, a big um, response to was that we flipped it and we put it on our colleagues to come up with creative things. So one of the ideas that you had was a flat Lisa, which was taking essentially a picture of our chief compliance officer and inviting our colleagues during compliance week to, you know, do a caption um, and a, a selfie with the, the the Lisa photo. And um, we were really hoping that people wouldn't abuse the situation and put Lisa in sort of awful situations. And luckily they didn't. And um, another thing that we did was set up a, um, like a team spirit type, um, you know, team photo and a compliance caption and, you know, applying local flair. And so I think we had Mardi Gras colors coming in from yes, um, a yes. New Orleans clinic and and stuff like that. Um, and then something that I, I did with our compliance officer in Canada was inviting colleagues to 
enter a contest to do a, a poster um, for compliance awareness. And what came through was just incredible. There was a really cool one, which was, I think, a, um, like a Better Call Soul reference in our compliance officer there's called Simon, and it was Better Call Simon <laughs> and sort of, you know, and Simon's face. And I just thought it was amazing, the, the response that we got. It was unexpected. People really got into the spirit of it. Um, and then so for, for this Canada one, um, I asked Simon, you know, w w the colleagues will vote for a winner, but please can you use every submission for mm -hmm. something so yeah. that, you know, their creativity doesn't go to waste and that they can take pride in being a part of the compliance program. So that's one tip I would give is, especially if you're, you know, not super creative, um, flip it to your stakeholders and invite them to be creative and see what comes in. I know we were very pleasantly surprised for our compliance week at the number of, especially the clinics, like the people working in the, um, you know, administering treatments to patients, they would coordinate themselves and uh, take photos um, outside of the clinic, of course, because we respect HIPAA mm -hmm. um, and, you know, choose a really cool scenic location in their city. And it was, it was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Now, that was a lot of fun. That was a really great compliance week, actually. Yeah. 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 People really got into it. I thought it was really, really, really good feedback. Yeah. And engagement. Yep. Well, thank you for your um, your your uh, subject matter expertise there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so one of one of the um, saddest times for me working in the U.S. business, and I still remember this day really well. You and I were walking through the car park, and it was a cloudy day. Um, or what do you say in America? The parking lot. Um, and, <laughs> and you told me that you had just accepted a job and would be moving from Massachusetts to New Jersey. Mm. Um, and I was so thrilled for you because the opportunity was awesome. But on the other hand, um, you were a lunch buddy. You were an you know, after work <laughs> drinks buddy. You were, you were my person injecting some um, flavor to our compliance weekend. That was a bummer. Um, but let's let, let's not dwell on that. Um, <laughs> when it I feel like I've really scarred you. <laughs> <laughs> it was it, it was a bummer. Um, you know, I, I think these are big decisions, and obviously our listeners are familiar. I think with me making the um, the cross border decisions. Mm -hmm. um, I'd love to hear from from you though. You know, as someone who 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 doesn't sort of move at that type of pace, this is. This is big. Um, and, you know, your husband was involved, all your family's out here in Massachusetts. So mm -hmm. for anyone who's in this position, and, you know, there are a lot of people who I think are like, oh, I'd never move from my family or this is home. And I was one of those people. I never thought I'd leave Wellington. And then, you know, it's been 11 years and four countries later, and here I am. Here I am. So sometimes just the seed needs to be planted, that mm -hmm. seed of openness. Um, and, you know, not being scared. So what is it that swayed you to be open-minded about uprooting yourself and trying someplace new? Sure. I mean, I think, you know, of course, the career advancement for me was a, a big draw, being able mm. to head up a region, especially the United States and Canada, which is, you know, always a, a, a big piece of the company and um, and really unique with the risk profile and everything like that. I think, um, the stage of the program here gave me opportunities to be able to actually build out a program, not just for North America, but also to have influence globally, which I really appreciated. Mm -hmm. um, I've worked uh, as the head of ethics and compliance for North America and also as the subject matter lead for our healthcare compliance program globally. So being able to implement some 
global level standards to me was just a fascinating opportunity to learn more about other cultures and to really broaden my personal knowledge and expertise. Um, the initial reason that drew me was actually um, my my first leader when I came in here, Michaela. She was speaking at the same conference that I was, and I really appreciated her talk on the importance of responsible leadership in the compliance space and how that really is the center of everything because we can put in all the policies and training that we want to do, but if people don't actually choose to embrace positive values and actually lead responsibly, none of it matters, honestly, um, if people don't, don't actually do it. So I think that that was really a unique approach, and that was what drew me to working with her in particular. I thought that she would have been a, a really great mentor for me, and I really was looking for that in, uh, in my next step in leadership. Um, and, and really just being able to, um, to have an impact. I felt like no matter what I would do, and I, I guess I realized this more after I left, but I, once I got here, but mm. um, that really there was a great opportunity to have an impact on the, the, I guess you could say, on the culture and on how compliance was perceived in the company in that leadership role. You can really work to set the tone and collaborate with other leaders in the mm. region um, to be able to to set that culture and really work on that culture of compliance together. And to me, being able to have that impact was um, what swayed me to come here. Um, but but I would say th that was for just me personally, but I mm -hmm. still think that there was really, um, you know, being able to have that support at home. You know, my husband was very supportive of me in my role to move. He was willing to uproot, leave a job he loved, mm -hmm. you know, leave all of his friends and family. And he'd never left Massachusetts before. I'd at least you know, been places for, mm. you know, I left the the state for school and grew up in another state and I'd been around a little bit. Um, but, uh, but he'd never, he'd never left Massachusetts. So he was willing to, to come here and start fresh as well. Um, and to me, that was a huge, a huge part of it because to be able to have that support as you mm. go was just critical for me. I wouldn't, I don't think I would have gone if, if, um, if there wouldn't have been an agreement there and a support there. Um, so I think that that was a big piece of it. But honestly, to me, it was just so exciting to be able to have that level of impact. I mean, you think about the decisions that we make every day that really helped to shape the company and help to guide people to embrace the, the principles of compliance and ethics more than anything. To me, it was just an inspirational opportunity and I couldn't pass it up. So that was how I got here. But I so, was really sad to leave all my friends at Presenting SU in particular. Yeah. Thank you. Thank uh, you. <laughs> um, so no regrets, would you say? No. I, well, no, no regrets. You know, it is New Jersey and it has kind of a bad rap. But I will say uh, mm. it doesn't all look like Newark. Sorry, Newark. Um, but, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but like actually New Jersey, I found really, uh, really surprising. Everybody here has been really kind and warm and uh, just a really, really nice, a really nice place to live. And I really like it. Um, but I will say right after we moved here, we were on lockdown. So I think mm. only recently have I been able to explore and really meet a lot of those people and and engage because I think we, I think uh, a month after we closed on the house, everything was shut down for, I don't know, <laughs> until almost now, I guess. Mm. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, 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 but no, no regrets for leaving. I think that it was a really good opportunity and I would, if I had to make the same decision again, I would have done the same thing. I think it was a really really wonderful opportunity to just jump up and give it a try. And, you know, sort of like I've approached some other things, if I didn't like it and didn't work, then I'll try something else. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, exactly. Uh, but, but, but for me, I think that it was a really great opportunity and a great, uh, great challenge for me. And I'm still really, um, really inspired to do, uh, to do, to do the work and to, 
build out a really good program. So uh, no regrets. Awesome. And in case anyone is wondering, yes, that is Michaela Alberg of Compliance Fab that was <laughs> Alexis's first boss. So unsurprising yeah. um, that that was such a, an, a you know a um, persuasive factor for you. And I think you know I went to to visit you um, for a long weekend um, a while back, and I was pleasantly surprised as well with New Jersey. And I think you know, one of the things that I said to, to you guys was, ah, it doesn't suck. It's not terrible. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's, it's actually, it's actually really, really nice. I, yeah. I feel like yeah. where I am, it reminds me a lot of New Hampshire. I don't know. It's, it's really yeah. nice. Yeah. And we've even talked recently about a, you know, a follow-up visit. So oh, absolutely. Um, do not discount New Jersey folks. Uh, it is, <laughs> it is somewhat Mary approved. <laughs> <laughs> At least one of the restaurants, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Well, um, the final question that I have for you, Alexis, is what is your best productivity hack? Hmm. Okay. It's a two-part hack. Mm. So (laughs) I had to think about this one for a second. So Mm. the first is to focus on one thing at a time um, because what I've found is that I tend to have, I don't know, a multi-page to-do list at all times and it Mm -hmm. can get really distracting if you leave up your email and you get the pings happening and then your phone's doing the pinging and um, so the first thing is to just pick one, one project to work on, mm-hmm. um, for a period of time. And the second thing is you may have already heard about this. A, a lot of people use it, but it's, uh, it's called the Pomodoro method or mm-hmm. tomato. <laughs> um, <laughs> you can go to tomatotimer.com. I think they have one. I just have an app on my phone, but mm-hmm. what it does is it, it chunks up your time and it actually sets a timer for, for a period of time to focus. So it'll be, say 25 minutes of focus and then it'll give you a five minute break and um, periodically, or then it'll give you a longer break and you can set it up however you want to do it. Mm -hmm. But to me, I sometimes find that there are tasks that I want to put off because they're just, they're not, not every, I mean, you know, I'm really inspired by my job, but we all have those tasks that sometimes Mm -hmm. are not the fun ones. They're like Mm -hmm. more administrative or, you know, doing things like doing your expense report, whatever it is. Mm. Um, and you, you need to get it done. And so for me, being able to say, you know what, I can focus on this one thing for 25 minutes and then I get a five minute coffee break or, you know, go sit outside for a few minutes and then focus back in to me was a really nice way to force myself to sit down and get things done. And I found that that's been the, the way to get to just like power through things and get them done. Um, mm-hmm. is to be able to just do that, uh, in measurable increments to be able to, to get that focus time, um, and just knock it out. And that's that's been the way I've done a lot of things that have been really important. I'll sometimes even clear my schedule um, for a day and just block it out uh, from meetings and actually just sit there and and go through and get some and tick some things off. And that's been the greatest thing for me because otherwise you get caught up and you're in meetings all day. And the next thing mm-hmm. you know, it's six o'clock at night. You've been in eight meetings and done nothing other than talk to people, which is, you know, important, mm. <laughs> important part of the job, right? But it doesn't always move the ball forward. Right. You know, it, it, mm-hmm. It's really important to be able to be that in that advisory role, but sometimes there are things you just really need to get done. So mm-hmm. that's, um, that's what I've done. Awesome. That's really helpful. Thank you. I'm sure um, several of us are going to be Googling that afterwards. So good to... <laughs> Well, Alexis, um, we've come to the end uh, of the episode. Uh, It it was awesome having a chance to work with you again. And thank you so much for your uh, time and, and knowledge sharing today. It's so appreciated. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Great Women in Compliance. We hope you'll join us in honoring the great women in the compliance field by subscribing to this podcast and leaving a review.